Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Wednesday, November 13th, 2019. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me in the big news since we last recorded. It came Tuesday night. It was a monumental upset inside Rupp Arena. Final score, Evansville, 67, number one, Kentucky, 64. The Aces, coached by former UK star Walter McCarty, closed as... 25-point underdogs and won the game. It's the third largest betting upset in the past 15 seasons in a game between two Division I teams. Evansville closed as a 40-to-1 underdog on the money line. Buster Douglas was famously 42-to-1 against Mike Tyson. So this was basically the college basketball equivalent of Buster Douglas over Mike Tyson. Norlander, I know you did all the homework last night. So please expand on this for the loyal listeners. Among them, James Thomas, the homie JT, and detail just how crazy Evansville over Kentucky was on Tuesday night. Uh, the further we got away from it, Parrish, the crazier I thought it was. I mean, when this was happening in real time, I thought, well, damn, this is the first truly uh, big-time upset of the season in college basketball, and good on Evansville. Um, but Evansville was picked eighth in the Missouri Valley. It's been a Division One program uh, consistently since 1977. Um, it's never made an AP Top 25 poll. It's obviously never defeated a number one team. It's never defeated a top five team, uh, period, until what it was able to do at Rupp Arena on Tuesday night. Um, I think uh, it was just an, an incredibly uh, sweet subplot that Walter McCarty, one of the more beloved Wildcats ever, was able to pull this off in his second season as coach of Evansville. Although, Parrish, i got a question for you. Mm-hmm. Which of these is most likely to happen next? John Calipari schedules Evansville, John Calipari schedules Indiana, or John Calipari retires? It schedules Evansville. I mean, I, I think just because this happened doesn't mean you just have to stay away from it forever, right? I mean, it's just even John last night after the game was like, hey, I've been doing this for a long time. These kinds of things happen. It is true. These kinds of things do happen. Not often. <laughs> yeah. Arguably never before in Rupp Arena. But things like this do happen. I don't know that John has any real reason going forward to be worried about non-league home games against Evansville. But who knows? <laughs> hey, who knows? Dodging that Evans right now, Evansville as a program is undefeated in its history against Kentucky. Tuesday night was the first matchup between the two, which I found relatively surprising, given they are, you know, geographically they're not that far apart. I figured maybe that would have happened before, but it, it did not. Um, Here's a list of, and credit to uh, to our CBS Sports researchers who uh, who tossed me this as I was running, or I was preparing and doing a bunch of stuff on HQ for this on, on Tuesday night. Uh, schools to win against number one ranked teams that come or came from outside the traditional power conference structure. Evansville, prior to that, you probably remember this, Paris. It was just four years ago. I definitely remember it. Remember when Northern Iowa was able to beat Carolina? That was in Northern Iowa. Do you remember that? Yes, I do, I do remember that. Yep, that was the most recent one. Uh, prior to that, though, it was Butler, and that was over Indiana. Uh, that was you know when Butler was a member of the Atlantic 10. Uh, that was the one year, by the way. Stevens was still the coach there. That was the one season Butler had the transition from the Valley to the A-10 before going to the Big East. Uh, UNLV beat Carolina in Vegas in, tw- in 2011. Yeah, And prior to that, how about Mark Gottfried's number one ranked Alabama team in 2002 losing at Rick Majerus in Utah? I mean, a, a lot of these instances 
were legitimately really good teams. They were just from outside the power structure. So the last time this really happened, because prior to that, you had Temple over Cincinnati, Xavier twice over Cincinnati in the 90s, um, UMass beating Kentucky and Arkansas when Cal was at UMass. Both those times, UMass was in the A-10, obviously, and beat number one ranked Kentucky, number one ranked Arkansas, um, and, by the way, also beat a number one ranked Carolina team. I mean, Cal really just had it rolling. That's awesome. But So the last time we had something similar to this, a, mid, a true mid-major winning on the road against a number one ranked team in the regular season was actually Seth Greenberg's 49ers of Long Beach State in 1993 when it defeated Roy Williams' Kansas Jayhawks. I mean, it's it's wild. And prior to that, you got New Mexico beating Arizona in 88. So it does happen, but this kind of thing specifically, I mean, it's rare. A, a, a true mid-major winning in a road environment against a top team and to do it against Kentucky. Um, I know they got some young pups, but this isn't uh, this isn't as young of a Kentucky team this season as it was last season. Uh, a, a sizable upset. Uh, there's no doubt about it. And uh, Parrish, I got to say it. I mean, this could be... This could be worth a seed line bump come March. Eh? I mean, you, you know it. <laughs> I love, I love your seed line bump tweets, or like it's just a random sentence in a in a column, like on Selection Sunday. This is going to be worth a seed bump. Are Nobody we gonna... loves to discuss seed bumps after November wins or losses more than Matt Norley. That's correct, and that's because. November outcomes can have March, uh, March. Uh, what's the word I want to use here? Implications. Um, what, what I hope is the the chair of the NCAA selection come up. My dream is to sit down on Selection Sunday with the chair because I'm usually in New York and they are usually there um, in studio with us, and um, and or, or we get them we get them on camera somehow. Whatever yeah. we, we talk to them. And I want I want somebody to say you know Kentucky was on track to be a one seed, but if you go back to November twelfth, um, they took a loss at home to Evansville, and that was a seed line bump in the wrong direction. You're the only one who uses that term, I think. I I, I will trademark it gladly. How about this though? Okay, are we going to do a Wofford thing all over again here? I'll tell you this. Mm. I would think that you would actually agree with this. If if Kentucky is in the discussion for a number one seed. Losing and Evansville winds up not being a 24-win team. Let's say even Evansville's even you know third in the valley. Losing at home to Evansville will be such a, you know a noticeable wart that this this could cost Kentucky a one seed if it otherwise goes about its season the way that we expect it to when it's fighting with other ones. You know, barring four or five other teams near the top of the uh, top of the seed line. Then yeah, obviously, like this is this can be a loss of, of serious consequence. Now, if, if Kentucky gets right, if this is an aberration, I mean, I did say Kentucky would only have one loss until it fe- face te- uh, faced Texas Tech in the middle of January. That can still technically be true, so I'm going to cling to that. Um, but if it's able to otherwise, you know, get back on track, you know, finish the top of the SEC, then it, yeah, it should be able to overcome this. But this is one of those where you take a, another one that maybe you shouldn't. I think it just can be exacerbated. That's all. Because it, listen, the historical um, meaningfulness of this kind of win. I mean, Evans, biggest win in Evansville program history, and Kentucky, which loses as the number one team as much as almost anyone else, which is a testament to the program's strength. But still, uh, this is this is definitely a biggie. There's, there's no doubt about it. I don't think that we can, you know, overstate how big it is for Evansville and, you know, how damaging it can be eventually to the resume of Kentucky. That's all. There's no question. Um, I mean, it, it, this is not – like, we, we talked on the previous podcast about Florida losing at home – 
to unranked Florida State by double digits. And that's like that's not a good loss. But that's still like Florida State. It's still Leonard Hamilton. He's yes. got real ACC players. It's a different deal. At, at tip-off, Kentucky was ranked number one in the AP poll. Evansville was 169th at Ken Palm. And though John Calipari did say again last night uh, that these things do happen in the sport, uh, like I mentioned earlier, they are very, very uncommon. For instance, Kentucky last night becomes the first number one team in the AP poll to lose to a team that had 11 or fewer wins in the previous season. Because again, um, Evansville was 11 and 21 last night. Kentucky becomes the first number one team in the AP poll to lose to a team that had 11 or fewer wins in the previous season since Stanford did it in the 2003-2004 season. So this is really, really uncommon. I thought it was interesting. Walter McCarty was asked last night, "How? where does this rank in terms of things you've been attached to inside Rupp Arena? Because obviously he was on a national championship team at Kentucky that played a lot of games inside Rupp Arena. And he said, this is at the top. Coaching Evansville to a upset of Kentucky, his alma mater, is is more meaningful to him than anything he did while a player at Kentucky. I don't know how that'll go over in Lexington, but uh, it, it's certainly understandable. Uh, you saw him last night celebrating with the team. It, it was awesome. He was a member, again, of that 1996 team. Average 11.3 points and 5.7 rebounds. Was the third leading scorer on that team that won the championship with nine future NBA players, finished 34-2. and two. Trivia time. Okay. Who did that Kentucky team lose to that year? It had two losses. They lost twice. I love this yes. trivia time. That is my favorite college team of all time. I was a bona fide – this was – that team, like, solidified my love. For, like, I was a huge Bulls and Jordan fan, Parrish. Um, and then Jordan retires. Kentucky's getting awesome. Um, I was into college basketball before this, but the 95-96 Kentucky team was the team that made me, for life, choose college hoops over the NBA. Um, and Tony Delk is my dude. I mean, that team was loaded. Uh, Delk, McCarty, Ron Mercer, Antoine Walker, uh, Derek Anderson was on that team. Anthony Epps was on that team. Just... Uh, I firmly believe that that you place those dudes in 2019-20 college basketball, and they're still wrecking shop on almost anyone. Um, the losses that year, I got to think that. Uh, all right, I'll say Arkansas, but I feel like they might have slipped a little bit there. Did not lose to Arkansas okay. that season. Um, well, they, I, they, de okay, so they had two losses. I'm pretty sure. Because I did something a few years back researching this, I am pretty sure that they lost early to Cal's UMass team. It was either that team or it was the year before that. I know Kentucky lost to Cal when he was at UMass. I know that happened. That's it. They, oh. That was the first loss. Second game of the season. Okay. Neutral site showdown between UMass and Kentucky. John Calipari coaching UMass. Uh, Rick Pitino coaching Kentucky. It was at the Palace in Auburn Hills. And UMass did beat Kentucky. That was the first loss. And then they didn't lose again until the title game of the SEC tournament against who? 96. Is it gettable? So it's SEC. Oh, so it's in the SEC. Um, you will remember it as soon as I tell you. Jeez, why don't I remember it now, though? Um, 
Not Arkansas. Who was good in the SEC that year? Oh. You mean you want a hint? No. Tell me um, Tell me it wasn't Mississippi State. It was Mississippi Boom. State in the SEC the title game. Yes. Dante Jones, yes. the pride of Northeast Mississippi Com- Community College who went on to become a bulldog after getting like 48 credit hours in one summer semester <laughs> at a Mississippi Stop. college. Stop. I don't remember. I don't remember the details, but you can look this up. They like, I believe, literally changed the rules because Dante Jones graduated from junior college in like two weeks. That's <laughs> so he could get eligible at Mississippi State. And um, he was the SEC tournament MVP. And then here, here's the thing. Uh, I don't. I was about to say that some people don't remember. Perhaps everybody remembers it. So they, they finish um, that Kentucky team uh, with just two losses, thirty-four and two. The two losses are to UMass and Mississippi State. UMass went on to the Final Four, and Mississippi State went on to the Final Four. That's right. So the only two losses came to fellow final four teams and then final part of trivia time who did kentucky beat the national championship game in 1996 96 is Q, uh, I, q's i'm almost yeah yeah q, q's uh hold on i think i can guess the score 76 67 right is that it what i can't guess scores are you out of your mind that's the, is that is 76 67 the score I, I don't know how would i know can you well are you not looking at like a Hold on. No, I mean I looked all this stuff up last I'm night. Almost po- uh, I, I'm almost positive. I'm almost positive. 1996 Kentucky basketball schedule. I had that game on VHS. See. I've watched that title game at least seven or eight times. I'm oh, I'm an, I'm like at a 95 percent certainty that the final score was 76-67. Feels like I'm suddenly doing a podcast with John Rosty. <laughs> <laughs> you you watched the 96 title game eight times. This is when I was 14, 15 years old. Of course, yeah. 76-67 was the final score. Give it to me. There we go. There we go. I'll talk 96 Kentucky anytime you want. That is by far my favorite team of all time. So uh, for good stuff. And um, back to present day, uh, just a quick note on Kentucky in general. Um, I think this will be more of an aberration than not. Kentucky over the years under Cal has had uh, had some hiccups in November. But no, they've really, obviously, they never had a loss like this. Um, and watching the game, uh, second half in particular, I did not see the first half. But once you see it's tight at halftime, you tune in and see where it goes. Um, the front court still needs a lot of fermentation. There's no doubt about it. And then the back court, Maxi, if he is not on Parrish, if he's not the guy that's going to give you shots, big shots, uh, and you're not going to run the offense through him late, Kentucky is going to find itself with some issues because I don't know if you're going to have a situation where, you know, quickly my guy Nate Sestina, really anyone else is going to step into a role where they can be a 1B to Maxi's 1A in terms of, okay, we need a bucket and we know that we can rely and count on you. I still think Kentucky will be a top five level defense by the time we get to early March. But offensively, with what I saw last night, maybe they figured some stuff out, but I don't think that we're going to look up 22 games into the season and suddenly discover that Kentucky has three surefire go-to guys. I can give you a bucket from 18 feet if you need it. So that is the one thing that I, I, I have more concerns about now for sure than when we did the pod after MSG. Uh, John Calipari afterward questioned the toughness of the team. And, and you know, th- th- that is I, – I, I'll trust him if that's one issue. Um, another one is they're, they're just not shooting the ball well. They were 4-17 from three last night. They're now shooting 24.5% from three on the season. That ranks 289th in the country. Ashton Higgins was one of eight from the field. And so 
um, you know, I, I, I know after the game, I think it was Seth Greenberg, Dan Dockett were in, in studio, or perhaps they were in studio at halftime of Memphis, Oregon, and they were talking about Kentucky, Evansville. Maybe that was it. Either way, I saw them talking, and they said, listen, they got to figure out who is going to be the guy who can go get you a bucket when you need a bucket. And I honestly thought that like that was already figured out. I mean, I know it's early, but it's got to be Tyrese Maxey. He's got to be that guy, and he just wasn't that guy in this one. He was not that guy in this one, and we'll see if that becomes a thing. I still like Maxey to be that guy in, in plenty of instances, and I think that he can show – and proved to be a, a top 15 level player in America. But credit to Evansville, they never let Kentucky even get three consecutive possessions where it looked like they were going to turn it. And that almost always happens, not just in a situation with the number one team playing a mid-major, but like Kentucky at Rupp, like usually the breaks go their way. It didn't. Credit to McCarty. Um, it's, it really is something, man, that, uh, that one of the more beloved players on the greatest team in program history was able to, and yeah, that is the greatest team. And I don't want to hear anyone talk about 2012 or 2015. 95, 96 Kentucky is the best UK team ever. He's able to do that and uh, and get just a huge win. And credit to ESPN Stats and Info on this. I guess in the past 20 years, the Valley, shouts to the Valley, 4-3 and three as a conference against number one ranked teams. That's the best winning percentage uh, by any league in America. Granted, it is a smaller sample size, but you get seven cracks at a number one team and you're above 500. That's good stuff there. Evansville's able to keep that up. And obviously the most recent instance of that was when Northern Iowa did it on its home floor, as we mentioned earlier, against Carolina. So we will... We will wait and see. Evansville better not look overlook Indiana Kokomo because there's only a two-day turnaround. They're going to play Indiana Kokomo uh, on Thursday. I think that was uh, a Brian Wilson B-side as opposed to what the, B- uh, the Beach Boys actually put out. And meanwhile, for Kentucky, uh, it will have Utah Valley at home. Um, I would suspect, I mean, don't want to get too far out of it ourselves, Parrish, but um, Kentucky doesn't have another notable game until maybe – home against Georgia Tech, but really it might be CBS Sports Classic. Like Kentucky should get on the right path here. Utah Valley, Mount St. Mary's, Lamar, UAB, Fairleigh Dickinson, Georgia Tech. All those are at home. That's their next month plus. Then they get Utah on a neutral out in Vegas uh, as a kind of a warm-up before the CBS Sports Classic where we'll be there against Ohio State on December, December, on December 21st. So I would think Kentucky is going to roll here and be okay. Uh, but if we're talking about him again in any sort of game context, it's not going to be good news because otherwise we probably shouldn't have much reason to discuss him at all. I wonder if there's ever been a bigger discrepancy in competition in a three-day span than going from Rupp Arena playing the number one team in the country to a home game with Indiana Kokomo. <laughs> I don't know, but Indiana Kokomo is an incredible – I mean, that is that is basically – that's an album name. It really is. That's a, that's, that is an album name. I don't know. I, I, very few in such a – exactly, in such a small period of time, you get up to go to Rupp Arena, number one team in the country, then you got to turn around – and, and face Indiana Kokomo, whose, whose jerseys were probably stitched together by, like, the assistant coach. So that is, uh, that, is, that is quite the whiplash there. And then Evansville will welcome in SMU into its building. Shouts to Evansville for getting a home game against SMU. That'll be next Monday. Elsewhere in the sport on Tuesday, a couple of five-star prospects committed to Big 12 programs. We're going to get to that next, but first, check this out. the state of combat podcast the brian campbell and while fight season may be on hold for the foreseeable future until tony ferguson and habib Nurmagomedov touch gloves at ufc 249 the soc is still moving along 
two to three episodes per week to give you that combat fix. What can you expect? The same great interviews with the biggest names in the fight game. Maybe a little bit of a fun oasis from the crazy world around you. Instant reactions to the biggest news stories. It's the SOC, available on Apple Pods, Stitcher, Spotify, and anywhere fine audio is found. Tell them BC sent you. Sports may be taking a hiatus right now, but the fantasy football season never stops. And neither does the Fantasy Football Today podcast. We're giving you three episodes per week during the offseason with Dynasty Talk, Mock Drafts, NFL Draft Previews, and your emails and tweets. So download and subscribe to Fantasy Football Today wherever you listen to podcasts and start winning your fantasy league right now. So a couple of five-star prospects committed to Big 12 schools on Tuesday. Bryce Thompson picked Kansas while Nabari Burnett picked Texas Tech. Norlander, what surprised you more? A five-star prospect picking a school possibly facing serious NCAA sanctions or a five-star prospect picking Texas Tech, which obviously isn't common. Um, the Texas Tech one was, uh, I'll say, by a hair only because... Now, I'm not stunned. Chris Beard's got this thing going. But even like a year ago, and the reason why this happens is... You get, you know, Chris Beard not only gets Texas Tech to the title game of the sport and and has completely changed the reputation of the program, but in back-to-back years, he's been able to, you know, between Zaire Smith as a freshman going uh, to be, you know, top 15-level pick and Jared Culver being a lottery pick the, uh, the year after, he is proving to be a great coach who's able to take uh, real athletic talent and develop it into NBA readiness with a quickness there. Um but a year ago, I, w- I still would have thought Texas Tech was not going to be capable of landing a top-20 kid. To me, that's just uh, a little more surprising. With Bryce Thompson, over the past week, the buzz had increasingly uh, become that Kansas was going to win out here over the likes of Oklahoma State and Oklahoma, which were recruiting him uh, for much longer. Oklahoma State was actually the first one to, to really uh, get in on Bryce Thompson. And listen, I think that Bryce Thompson can be – an immediate impact player next season when he's a freshman. I think he's probably a two-year kind of guy, um, but a smart player, uh, awesome kid. It is a little surprising that he picks Kansas because you and I have both said on this podcast, we believe that the Jayhawks are going to face a postseason ban next season. But credit to Thompson and his family, like, you know, they know what they want, and they have been assured to whatever level they need to be assured that uh, their concerns um, can be alleviated to whatever level. I don't know. We'll we'll wait and see. And and maybe you know playing in the NCAA tournament uh, winds up being a thing that Kansas does next season, or maybe that's not the be all end all for what Bryce Thompson wants to get out of his college experience and and getting and best getting to the NBA. So I actually give him credit for making this kind of choice because. As we've seen with other schools in the past, well, forever, but really specifically the past five to seven years, Parrish, um, schools that have been under the, the microscope and, and are you know apparently awaiting punishment, North Carolina, which never got it, still lost on plenty of recruiting battles uh, time after time after time. A lot of guys wouldn't have cho- make that choice. 
Bryce Thompson does, um, and that is a significant get for Kansas's 2020 class. He's the first five-star in this class, obviously. Kansas did not land a five-star in last year's class. So, yeah, this does still befuddle some people in the industry. There's no doubt about it. But if that's what he wants to do, more power to him. Uh, no flack for me on that, and I'm excited to see what he can be as a college player. I think he'll be very fun and potentially a top 50-level guy uh, by the end of his freshman season. Yeah, I, I think I'm with you mostly on this. Um, he wanted to be at Kansas. His father played for Bill Self at Tulsa. So there's a, a long family connection there. And he's not going into this ignorant uh, to the situation. Um, he might be uh, misguided, uh, and, and not by anybody intentionally, just like sometimes people believe what they want to believe. Like there's a whole bunch of Memphis fans right now who are just convinced they're going to be fine. And they might be, but I'm not convinced of that if they continue to be um, in defiance of, of the NCAA. So he could be, again, um, misguided, nobody's fault uh, about the realities of what Kansas is dealing with. But he's not ignorant to the situation. He addressed it even after his announcement and said that, you know, he's talked to the athletic director. He's talked to the coaching staff he and his family are comfortable with um going to kansas under these circumstances i will say though if if i were his father um unless i was genuinely dead set on we're going to kansas no matter what and if it means we don't get to play in the ncaa tournament because of a postseason ban that's fine we'd still rather be at kansas than anywhere else like if that is their opinion then that's fine with me. Who am I to sit here and tell people what they ought to do in, in, in terms of stuff like that? But if, if the opinion is we're going to Kansas because that's where we want to be and we don't think we're going to be banned from the NCAA tournament, but if we were going to be banned from the NCAA tournament, we would probably look at other options, then my advice would be don't, don't sign a letter of intent early. Or get some sort of agreement from Kansas in place that if this does go the wrong way, that you can um, respectfully and politely um, be released from your commitment and enroll somewhere where you might be able. Well, you'll have a you'll have an actual chance to play in the NCAA tournament because I don't know that Bryce Thompson's a, a for sure one and done guy. In fact, I know he's not a for sure one and done guy, but he's a possible one and done guy. And I just think it would be. Um, unfortunate if somebody who was always dreamt of playing in the NCAA tournament um, suddenly had that opportunity ripped away from them in what is maybe going to be their only year of college and I don't just say this about Kansas like honestly and who knows what's going to happen in the situation between Memphis and in the NCAA perhaps they can uh, you know find a resolution that satisfies both sides and this doesn't continue to be a, a defiant act by the University of Memphis that could lead to big problems. But let's pretend for a second that um, th there is no resolution reached. James Wiseman continues to play under these uh, circumstances mm -hmm. and then leaves for the NBA. And then the NCAA eventually sends a notice of allegations to Memphis, accusing it of level one violations because it knowingly played an ineligible player. I would say the same thing about that. If I were a five-star prospect, if this thing doesn't get resolved formally between Memphis and the NCAA, if I were a five-star prospect, I would not commit to Memphis right now because you don't know what you're walking into. So I don't say that about Kansas any differently than I would say it about literally any school under these circumstances. You've just got to to, to be careful. And so, um, so, so we'll see. But, again, 
um, it's a testament to that staff and, and the relationship they built with the family that they would be able to get this done under these circumstances because I don't know that many staffs and many schools would be able to get this done under these circumstances. As for Texas Tech, this is the highest rated player to ever commit to that school in the sport of men's basketball. And before he did it, the highest player to ever commit to this school in the sport of men's basketball did it last year. Mm -hmm. So Chris Beard is recruiting at an incredibly unusual high level relative to the history of the program at which he works, for which he works. And I'll just say, like, when you were listing the guys in the country who can do more with less than maybe anybody, that you think, man, you just give them any roster and they'd be good, and you give them a good roster, they'll be great. I do think at this point, and maybe you could throw some other names in there. Rick Bird's retired, by the way, North Anderson. You can't, do, can't use him anymore. I know, I know. But it, it, Tony Bennett and Chris Beard probably are one, two on that list right now. And if you're now telling me Chris Beard's going to be consistently enrolling top 50 players, five-star prospects, then we know who is going to be Kansas's biggest consistent challenger going forward. It's going to be Chris Beard at Texas Tech until he's – or unless he's – Chris Beard somewhere else. You are on the money. You make a lot of good points on both those uh, situations with both those guys. I'll also note <laughs> your point about um, not signing an LOI uh, is a big one because, and I don't know how many listeners may or may not realize this, but the Big 12's transfer guidelines are really among the strictest and hardest to get around in the entire sport. It is almost unheard of for a tra- for an in-league Big 12 to Big 12 transfer, you'll recall that Baker Mayfield was initially even ruled ineligible, and the only reason he got around that uh, through the waiver process was because he was a walk-on and had to go through a, a fairly stringent process to even be able to play at Oklahoma. Had, Bay- had Baker Mayfield been a regular scholarship player uh, going from Texas Tech to Oklahoma, he never he never plays for Lincoln Riley and probably never wins the Heisman Trophy and never gets drafted number one overall. Uh, so I, I only bring it up to say if anything were to happen where Bryce Thompson Thompson decided I'm not going to go to Kansas uh, and he signed a letter of intent well then I would think North Carolina has a clear edge because get him signing uh you know what I'd still like to stay, stay close to home I'd like to play for Oklahoma or Oklahoma State um Kansas isn't going to want to sign off on that no shot no way no no way in hell is that going to happen um so if I was his family I would just I would keep that in mind and, and if you're pot committed no matter what you know more power to you but just uh for those you know who might be Sooners or Cowboys fans thinking like well maybe something happens you know by February Kansas gets hit by the NCAA and and uh we can maybe get back and Bryce Thompson will, will decommit because I know that <laughs> I know that is a hope among that fan base right now just know that if he signs an LOI that's uh, that I won't say it won't definitely won't happen, but it is extremely unlikely. And then just one final thing on on Beard, he is, you know, I I think that he is just a tremendous fit there. Um, not by any means the same personality at all. But if you told me like Ed Orgeron, it seems now to be a lifer at LSU. He's just such a natural fit for that program. If you told me that Texas Tech is going to be one seed, two three seed, three seed, four seed, you know. 85, 90% of the time over the next 15 years because Chris Beard stayed there and he bypassed job offers for more money at bigger places. Um, it wouldn't totally stun me. I think that Chris Beard can win just about anywhere, but his specific fit at Texas Tech 
is a really awesome. It remains an awesome story in college basketball. And damn, wouldn't it be a cool thing if we if we just happen to be witness for the next decade to see in Texas Tech uh, trade jabs on even footing with Kansas and basically turn into a top two uh, for sure, top three program within that league. Getting these kind of guys like Nirmari Burnett will ensure that happens. And heading into next season, yeah, the Red Raiders are, are shaping up for sure. It would seem to be uh, a preseason top two team in the league. Um, one last thing on the Bryce Thompson situation. Uh, again, I, you and I are on the same page with this. If he just is going to go to Kansas no matter what, postseason ban, no postseason ban, I'm going to Kansas, rock chalk. It, that's fine with me. And then there's nothing else to talk about. Just go to Kansas and be done with it. Mm-hmm. But short of that, if 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 the reality is I'm going to Kansas because it's where I want to be and also because I don't think they're going to deal with a postseason ban. But if they were going to deal with a postseason ban, then I would consider other options. Then that is when I would not sign the letter of intent. And also this. Then the only way you get in trouble is college basketball players, the season doesn't start till November. They enroll in June, typically June. Mm-hmm. And what I think is an absolute worst-case scenario under these circumstances, the hypothetical, and it's only a hypothetical, but the hypothetical that Bryce Thompson wants to go to Kansas – as long as it's not going to be a postseason ban. But if there were going to be a postseason ban, he would like to explore other options. Then the worst-case scenario becomes everything's cool. No reason to really be worried. You, you, you believe everything's going to be fine. You enroll in June. You're a student at Kansas. And then in August, the punishment comes down, and it's a postseason ban 2021. And now you're, you're, you're trapped. You're at Kansas – and you didn't, and you you enrolled before the punishment came, and then the punishment comes, and now here you are. It is why I I genuinely believe, and I I don't expect the NCAA to start operating this way, but I wish that the NCAA would make a rule on itself, yeah, where you cannot put a school on a postseason ban mm-hmm. once the freshmen enroll at that school. You shouldn't be allowed to trap people if you if you can get it done. The announce the punishment before the freshmen enroll or the transfers enroll or whoever, that's fine. Then they, they then they know what they're walking into. But I hate the idea that you can enroll somewhere in June and with with the school not facing a postseason ban, and then in August or September, October, they can hit you with a postseason ban and rip your um your uh the possibilities away. It, you know, no, literally no fault of your own. It's why I, I, I don't have any problem with the NCAA putting a postseason ban on Georgia Tech. I do not think they should have been able to do it mm-hmm. to Georgia Tech in the 2019-20 season after the student athletes had already enrolled for the 2019-20 season. So, um, so that's just something. That's a larger point I wanted to make about these situations in general. Yeah, no, there's. I completely uh, agree with you. All right, let's uh, let's spin it forward here because we've got uh, we've got a big game. Thursday night between uh, Seton Hall, Michigan State. It's by far the biggest game left of the week, and you know, uh, no Miles Powell, we, as we discussed on the previous podcast. Um, so that's uh, to me, that's the big one uh, on Thursday. Wednesday's got Purdue at Marquette. Nova Ohio State's actually a pretty solid one. I'm, I'm curious to see what that one turns out to be. And Will Wade goes to VCU uh, with his LSU Tigers to coach. <laughs> I tell you what. Um, VCU fans are not going to treat Will Wade well at all at that game. Actually, that is that might be my highest uh, uh, curiosity um, for Wednesday night in general. But MSU Seton Hall is is the big boy game on Thursday. Cassius Winston expected to play as his family um, 
uh, determines funeral arrangements. As of now, as of us recording this podcast, the plan uh, is for Cassius Winston to play in that game. And uh, and if indeed he does, even though Michigan State will be on the road, it will have certainly an, an advantage in personnel. Um, so I'm I'm curious to see how Michigan State responds here. Um, how Seton Hall looks without its best player. GP, what uh, what most intrigues you of, about this game overall? Oh, well, first off, it's less intri- let's be honest, it's less intriguing than it otherwise would have been. Yeah. Because a preseason first team All-American is is not going to be available. They have not at Seton Hall um, put a timetable on Miles Powell's return, but they have acknowledged he is not going to play on on Thursday. Still um, and remember this game's going to be played at the Prudential Center. Mhm. And I, uh, Adam Zagoria reported that they've already sold 14,000 season tickets, so it's going to be a great crowd. And they really haven't seen any change in ticket sales, according to an associate AD at Seton Hall, with the news about Miles Powell. So Seton Hall fans are still going to be there. It's still the preseason number one, coached by a Hall of Famer, um, you know, playing you in a non-league showdown. But obviously it would be a more interesting situation if um, if Miles Powell were, were available. And I do think it probably puts more pressure – of pressure anyway, I guess, but more pressure on Michigan State to knock this out. If you're Seton Hall, you lost your best player, not just your best player, but one of the best players in the country, whatever. But at Michigan State now, the idea that you could go from preseason number one to one and two with a loss to a team that subsequently lost to Evansville at home and a loss to a team that would be missing its best player, that um that is no way to start a season. I think there's real pressure on Tom Izzo's. Uh, Spartans to 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 go into Newark and get this done. There is um, because after this, th- there's a ton of pressure. I mean, getting a kind of win like this would be uh, humongous. They're, Michigan State's going to win its next home game against Charleston Southern, and then it will go to Maui. And here's the, you want to get a win like this because then it's going to play a Virginia Tech team at Maui on that first. Um, Monday should obviously should win that, but Mike uh, Mike Young's doing a really good job right off the bat there with the Hokies. Then we get the winner of Georgia versus Dayton, and you'd either get a Georgia team, Anthony Edwards. Uh, you know, we'll talk about him uh, in games to come here. Uh, you know, down in the podcast, but he's been awesome immediately. He's been a very good player right away. Uh, might be the best uh, freshman in this in this most recent uh, recruiting class. Or they'd play Dayton, who is no joke either. So that's an intriguing second game, and then it could potentially have Kansas awaiting them with Michigan State in a, in a, in a title game type situation in Maui. Um, so Michigan State will not be short or shy on big win opportunities. Neither will Seton Hall. I mean, Seton Hall has, has, uh, has arguably more if the, if the bracket breaks their way in the Bahamas uh, for big game resume building opportunities than anyone. Um, but yeah, this is uh, this is one of the more critical uh, non-conference games that we have here in terms of like a true road environment. I mean, this is, this is a fantastic thing, a, a great deal, but I'll be, I'll be interested to see um, how Cassius plays if indeed he does play, and just that yeah that environment should be terrific overall. Uh, but yeah, that is that is by far you build your Thursday for the listeners who haven't uh, peeked ahead at Thursday. I mean, you build your Thursday night around that. There's no other there's no other good game. There's nothing. The, the next best game is Penn State against Georgetown. I mean, that's 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 a close second. But uh, but yeah, so that's that's the biggie as we head into the weekend there. Um, I think Michigan State's going to win. Uh, I'm not going to log this for our. We'll save our our picks for the record and our and our season long uh, chase for just weekend stuff. But I do think that I'll, I'll take Michigan State to win this one. Would you agree, or you want to you want to go with the Pirates at home? 
No, I would take Michigan State to win this one. I would have probably taken or might have taken Seton Hall with a healthy Miles Powell. But without that, it's just, I mean, you take that guy away from that team. It's a totally different team. And so uh, I think Michigan State wins what what could be a competitive basketball game, though. I, I In fact, I expect it to be a competitive basketball game, but Michigan State wins. I am interested to see how Cassius plays, though, because um, we suspected this was true when we recorded on Sunday. Um, we now know that it's true. The details of the situation, it was a suicide, his um, younger brother. And I mean, man, I, I think it. You know, if you live long enough, unfortunately, in this country, um, we all have somebody close to us who has who have taken their own life. I, I had it happen to me um, in, you know, within the past couple of years. And it is, um, you, you know, I, even somebody struggling in the ways that it, it appears Cassius's brother was struggling you still or at least this is my experience you still don't think it'll happen you know you you, you know you think it'll, it, 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 won't, it, won't, it won't really go that far and then the next thing you know it, it did go that far and in this situation your little brother somebody you've known your whole life put himself in front of a train it's just the saddest most tragic thing and I hope you were able to see if you're listening Cassius's um I guess it was an Instagram post or yeah. Twitter post, um, you know, really heartfelt, you know, what could best be described as an open letter to his brother. And, you know, he was almost like, I understand. I know how hurt, bad you were hurting. I know how tough you were dealing with things. And, you know, next time I see somebody going through that, I'm going to do everything I can to help them. And so that suggests there's some guilt somewhere in there. If you're saying I'm learning from this and next time I won't, Next time, I'm I'm going to help the person that I see struggling the way that you're struggling. And I say all that to say this. Um, you know, on Sunday, and everybody mourns differently. I, I wouldn't pretend to know what's going on inside of Cassius's head. But on Sunday, it's still so fresh that you could just be in shock, you know? Yeah. And after a few days, it, it sets in. Like, w- that really happened. It's not a dream. And... So I, I, it'll just be, um, you know, how will he be on right. Thursday night mentally? Um, how will he be um, as a basketball player? How he is as a as a human is obviously the most important thing, but undeniably that that will be a storyline connected to the game and and a and and possibly something that that determines the outcome on some level. Yep, there's no doubt about it. Um, well, we'll uh, we'll see how Cassius and, uh, and Michigan State responds. Um, and yeah, again, that's the big one. We will be back, uh, obviously, for another podcast for you guys on Friday that uh, recaps what we see in Michigan State Seton Hall. Um, just a quick note as we wrap up here before GP does the shouts here. I'm putting Syracuse on upset alert against Colgate Wednesday night. Colgate nearly got a win against Clemson. It's its best team ever, and Syracuse is playing its first game since being only held to 34 points. They're just. Uh, Keep an eye on Central New York. Let's see if uh, the Raiders can get a can get a steal there. But uh, we'll be back Friday with uh, with plenty to talk about and plenty to preview for the weekend. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M. F. and Teagle. He is the legend. Shouts to Larnell. Please go subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcast. It helps us definitely. That's the main reason I ask you to do it. But the next main reason I ask you to do it is because it ensures you'll get the newest episodes. ASAP sent right to your phone. So please go do that while you're there. Rate it favorably. Five stars, nice comments. And like Norlanda said, we're going to talk to you again on Friday. Preview the weekend. Look back at Michigan State Seton Hall. Till then, take care.
y'all. It's Chip Patterson from CBS Sports. If you're a diehard fan of college football, then you don't need me to remind you that this sport knows no offseason. And let's be honest, if you're a diehard fan of college football, I kind of expect you to already be subscribed to the Cover 3 podcast. But don't worry if you missed out on the lock fights, late night instant reactions, and emergency podcasts in 2019. There's still room for you to join us. Results on the field in the fall are the product of pieces that were set in place in the winter. So don't miss out on the moves, news, and headlines that will determine the 2020 National Championship. Download and subscribe to Cover 3 Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found.